As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the programme that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we dive into this week's show, I want to let you know about a very exciting competition. To celebrate 10 years since the release of Professor Alistair McGrath's seminal biography, C.S. Lewis A Life, we are giving away 15 copies, one for each chapter of the book, courtesy of the publisher Hodder Faith. To be in with a chance to win, visit premierunbelievable.com slash C.S. Lewis book and sign up to our newsletter. This link will be included in the show notes, but here it is one more time. premierunbelievable.com slash cslewisbook. But now for today's show. This is the second episode in a new series on the thought, life and legacy of C.S. Lewis. And our focus here is on his English school days. Alistair, we talked in an earlier episode about the impact of Warney being sent off to boarding school at quite a young age and the impact that that had on the young C.S. Lewis. But Lewis himself was then sent away fairly soon after the death of his mother. Do you know how old he was when he first started this um, boarding school and and where was it? Well, Lewis went to boarding school in September 1908. Um, so he's, he's just short of his 10th birthday. So that is rather young. And it's rather young um, uh, in the sense that um, he had just lost his mother. And w- in a matter of weeks, he was being sent off to a country he did not know, to a school he did not know. And the only consolation was that his brother, Warney, was already there. So I have to, we, have, we really have to say this was, was, this was traumatic. It, was, it dislocated Lewis from everything apart from Warney who gave him security. So I think we have to say that really this was a, a, a very difficult time in Lewis's life. In fact, I, have, I think my own experience in boarding school was not bad, but Lewis's I think is just awful. I mean, I think that he really was traumatized by what happened. And that is in effect all part of the story of this broken young man who in effect later became such a significant Christian figure and writer. And do we know why Albert Lewis decided to send his sons to boarding school? Well, apparently Albert Lewis took professional advice and were to send his elder son and then, of course, later his younger son. I have to say it was extraordinarily bad advice he received. And really, um, Lewis and his brother would both have benefited simply by remaining in Belfast and going to some of the excellent schools in that city. But his father was a solicitor and was very anxious to make sure his two sons advanced. And therefore, he believed that the, the, the prestige of going to an English school would really set them up very well for the future. 
he chose very obscure schools and I personally think they would have done nothing for the reputation their sons would have enjoyed back in Northern Ireland. And in a letter that he wrote later in his life, Lewis said that two of the three boarding schools he attended were very horrid. And he even went on to say that he never hated anything as much, not even the frontline trenches in World War One, which is quite a statement, isn't it? And he talks, you know, a little bit uh, sort of along that vein in Surprised by Joy. So why did he hate these schools so much? No one really knows. Um, I think a number of scholars have expressed surprise at the the vehemence of his critique of one uh, school he called Belson. <laughs> that's, that's quite a quite a powerful description of a school. I think Lewis did not fit in. I think Lewis realised that he was not making friends. I think Lewis felt completely isolated from friends and family. And bear in mind, Warney went off and left Lewis on his own. And I think Lewis found that very, very difficult indeed. So I think there are some slight question marks about whether Lewis's account of his school days is entirely reliable. But I think what we can take away from it is that he clearly felt this was awful and that they were damaging him. But it does help us understand you can bounce back from these things. And I think that's a, an important lesson for anyone reading Lewis's Surprise by Joy. This is a story of someone who passed through some very difficult times, but was able to grow through the experiences. And that seems to be a feature sort of throughout Lewis's life, doesn't it? Well, it is. I think that Lewis basically very often found himself um, going through difficult times and then looking back and saying, I can learn from this. I can grow through this. I think there's a sort of pastoral dimension to what Lewis's writings are telling us, which is that um, when we go through difficult times, well, we aren't the first people to do that. And we can look at others who've been through these and learn from them. And of course, Lewis, uh, as someone who enjoyed reading literature, would have lots of examples of um, uh, tales of British schools, which in effect uh, would, would persuade him very, very quickly that he wasn't the only person <laughs> to experience these bad things and then move on to greater things. Was it difficult for Lewis to be an Irish man in an English school, do you think? Do you think that was part of him just not fitting in? I think that Lewis knew he was an outsider. I mean, I cannot verify this from school records, but as far as I can see, um, Lewis and his brother were really the only two Irish people in the schools they both went to. And of course, that meant that there were no people they could really relate to having a similar background to them. So when Warney then left school and went on, Lewis found himself on his own. So I think that there is a real issue there about Lewis being um, culturally dislocated, just feeling I'd, I don't belong here. I don't want to be here. I'd love to go home, but his father wouldn't let him. So there is this feeling that his father is in effect saying, this is good for you, get on with it. And Lewis just feeling that his father does not understand him. So again, contributing to the alienation between father and son. And I suppose it, it wasn't just that kind of being an outsider. There was also stuff within the school system that he really didn't get on with, wasn't there? The athleticism, the kind of, you know, praise of people who were particularly athletic, which really wasn't Lewis. The fagging system. I mean, what is the fagging system and, and how did that impact Lewis, do you think? Well, the fagging system is simply older boys um, getting younger boys to do various things for them. Some of them might be quite innocent, like uh, cleaning their shoes. Other of them, I'm afraid, were not quite so innocent. And I think Lewis may well have um, been subjected to some form of sexual abuse while he was at school. We don't know, but um, 
The statistics, unfortunately, suggest that may well have been the case. So we just need to bear in mind that British boarding schools at that time had a certain reputation for darker things, and Lewis may well have suffered as a result of that. But there are other things as well, I think. One of them was that um, Lewis came from Ireland, where the class system never really mattered very much. I mean, Ireland um, didn't really have um, uh, an upper class, and Ireland was quite achievement-oriented place, whereas in many of these boarding schools, there was a kind of lingering influence of the class system. And Lewis just did not relate to that at all, because again, he was an outsider. He would have been reckoned as lower middle class by his um, schoolmates. And again, that put you way down the pecking order in school. And Lewis seems to have lost any remnants of a Christian faith that he had during his English school days. Why do you think that happened? Well, I think that, that there are several possible explanations for this. I mean, I mean, I'm not entirely sure Lewis really had anything other than a rather sentimental childhood faith. Uh, but that evaporated uh, as a result of his time at school. Lewis doesn't really elaborate on um, how this happened, but I think you could probably point to a number of things. One was the experience of what Lewis clearly considered to be adversity, which Lewis felt, well, you know, what have I done to deserve this? You know, his mother's death may also have been a significant influence on Lewis's um, not so much rejection of faith, but just, just in effect ceasing to see it as being relevant. I think the philosopher John Gray makes a very important point in his book, The Seven Kinds of Atheism, says that an atheist isn't really somebody who does not believe in God. It's more somebody who, who, who can't see what the point of God is. Mm. I think that's where Lewis probably was at this stage. His more aggressive atheism dates from slightly later. But I think we can say that there's no evidence that, um, Lewis had any real faith during his time at school or that it played any role in his um, thinking at that time. I mean, do you think he was influenced by some of the things that he was reading? Was he perhaps reading writers that didn't hold a Christian faith? And, you know, was he drawn to some of their writings? Was there anything around kind of the literature that he was reading at the time, do you think? Well, I've no doubt that, that his move away from the kind of literature of his childhood, which I think in many ways helped sustain this idea of a something beyond experience, something real, which we can encounter through these kind of um, experiences, some distant reality. School books wouldn't do that. But actually, Lewis does talk about um, discovering Wagner and beginning to get a sense of something sublime, something transcendent lying beyond the world of experience. And, you know, that that didn't bring him to faith, but it kept open the possibility. And of course, that becomes very significant in Lewis's later thinking. Why do you think Lewis spent so long talking about his childhood days at school in Surprised by Joy, his autobiography? Because that was when he felt safe. That was his safe place. And very often people go through adversity, as Lewis was doing um, at uh, Malvern College, for example. You kind of imaginatively go back to a place where you feel safe, where you're loved, where you are um, protected, where you're enjoying yourself. And it's very, very clear that Lewis saw his childhood days, particularly at Little Lee, as being his safe place. That's why, again, it's so important when Lewis and Warney buy the kilns in Oxford in the 1930s. That's their safe place being recreated. And that, that is so important. So I think in one sense, Lewis coped with 
the adversity of the school days by imaginatively going back to his safe place, which, of course, was his old house in Ireland. And in some senses, it wasn't all bad, was it? Because his terrible experiences at school led him to take refuge in the school library, which obviously opened up a whole world of literature for him. Well, that's right. And again, when I went to boarding school, I found the school library enormously helpful because it allowed me to um, go and be on my own and read and actually through reading, enter into worlds that were really exciting and kind of way. I found that um, while I always enjoyed reading, boarding school <laughs> made me enjoy it even more. So I can understand what Lewis is talking about. But what I want to say is this. It was very, very clear to Lewis, and I think gradually dawned on his father, that Lewis was not flourishing at school and would not flourish at school. And therefore, it was very important to find some alternative which would be able to move Lewis on academically and extricate him from these difficult context in which he found himself. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because eventually Lewis ended up in an educational setting that he did seem happy with, with Lewis's father's old headmaster, William Thompson Kirkpatrick. Why do you think this was such a good fit for Lewis? Oh, this was inspirational. I mean, I very often in reading about this think, well, at least um, Albert Lewis got one thing right. Um, <laughs> Albert Lewis knew um, uh, the great Knox, what he was called, um, uh, from his childhood days, and thought he was a really good teacher, and he'd retired to England and suggested to um, him that uh, he might like to tutor his son. Uh, and obviously the financial arrangement was very satisfactory, uh, and Lewis began going um, and being taught by this former headmaster. And I have to say, um, from everything that Lewis writes about this, this was exactly the right thing to do. Because Lewis was now not surrounded by other boys who wanted to kick his head in. He was living in a house with someone who would meet him regularly and teach him. And the form of teaching was not, read this, it was much more Socratic. It was about dialogues, about debates. Read this, we're going to talk about. And what Lewis found was he, he rose to these challenges. Here was an intelligent person asking him intelligent questions, and he began to in develop intelligent answers. And of course, Lewis would later go to Oxford, and in many ways, what Lewis was being prepared for was the Oxford tutorial system, whereby someone who knows a lot doesn't just, if you like, provide information, but, but generate understanding by talking to you about this and make sure you really have understood this. So it, in my view, this was a turning point in Lewis's life. He rediscovered intellectual confidence and he began to raise his sights about where he would like to go next. He was not going to go back to Belfast. He was going to try and get a place at Oxford University. And in those days, not many people from Ireland went to Oxford. So this was a very significant change in Lewis's aspirations and thinking about his own future. So how important was that relationship with Kirkpatrick for Lewis? Well, Kirkpatrick, I think, um, if I put it like this, helped Lewis realise that he was better than he thought academically. I mean, when you're trying to work out how clever you are, the only way you can do it is by calibrating it, by talking to people and getting a sense of where you are in relation to them. Mm. And Lewis began to realize that actually he was pretty good, not in an arrogant sense, but just factually. And therefore he thought, maybe I should be thinking 
in terms of going to Oxford. It's very important because um, although Kirkpatrick was quite an aggressive atheist, um, he was also clearly intelligent, learned and good at kind of bringing people out. And I think that really helped Lewis realize that um, that his earlier unhappiness at school should be set to one side because now that he knew he could rise to intellectual challenges, he will be able to get an academic environment to go as a student where he could flourish. So it's very important in terms of raising Lewis's vision for his own future. And so I would point to Kirkpatrick as one of the most important people in Lewis's life. And you mentioned there Kirkpatrick's sort of staunch atheism. We see, don't we, that actually that was perhaps where Lewis's atheism was beginning to really cement itself. I think that's right. I think that Lewis intellectually saw himself as an atheist and would later kind of way supplement this intellectual aspect of atheism with a much more um, emotional um, aspect. He became angry later. Mm-hmm. Of course, particularly during the First World War, when Lewis was in the British Army and saw suffering at, at first hand in, in terrifying ways. And that made him not just say there is no God, but I, I am angry with God, That, except, of course, God doesn't exist. So Lewis began to realize there was a problem there. But going back to Kirkpatrick, certainly, um, if you like, Kirkpatrick was a role model for Lewis in many respects. And maybe, in effect, his atheism struck Lewis as being the right option for a thinking person like himself. And it was around that time, wasn't it, that Lewis's friendship with Arthur Greaves really began to develop. How, how did that come about? Well, it came about because uh, although Lewis wasn't really getting on very well with his father, he would still go home to Belfast um, and, for example, during the holidays. And um, he, he knew Arthur Greaves vaguely, uh, but Arthur Greaves was ill. He, he was a poorly boy. And um, he asked if Lewis could come and spend some time talking to him. And um, Lewis thought, oh, I don't want to do this, but felt he ought to and went and discovered they had many interests in common, above all literature, Wagner, lots of things like that. And in fact, when you read um, The Four Loves, Lewis's later book, um, he talks about the importance of realizing that somebody you share something really important with, and you can talk to them about it, and that's, that's the basis of friendship. And I'm sure Arthur Greaves is precisely the person Lewis has in mind here. They discovered they had shared love in literature, and that really, I think, um, became very important for them. Um, Greaves, I think, became very fond, perhaps over-fond of Lewis. And at this stage, Greaves was a Christian, and obviously began to try and raise spiritual questions of Lewis, which Lewis batted back quite um, aggressively. But it was a very important relationship because Lewis did not have many friends. Mm. And this, again, is the beginning of another very important relationship. Lewis would keep that relationship alive until the end of his life. Well, and as you say, he remained a close confidant of Lewis's throughout his life. Why do you think that is? Because obviously quite a few of the relationships that he sort of picked up didn't necessarily continue in, in as close as, as they were throughout his life. But but this is one that really did remain very close. Why do you think that was? Well, I, I have my own theory about this. And again, not every Lewis scholar would agree with me. But here's what I noticed when I was researching everything. The people that were closest to Lewis for much of his life were his brother Warney 
and Mrs. Moore. We'll talk about her later in this series. But basically, they were very important for Lewis. They were also problems for Lewis. Mm. And Lewis really needed somebody he could talk to, unburden himself with. And Arthur Greaves was that. Arthur Greaves was very discreet. And Lewis Hank needed somebody who he could actually offload on. In other words, say, oh, here's what's happened to me. It's awful. And Greaves would be sympathetic and try and give advice. So if you like, um, Greaves really beca- became the go-to person for Lewis to, in effect, offload. He, he could talk to Greaves and, in effect, unburden himself of his many concerns. And a lot of his concerns dealt with people who otherwise Lewis would have seen as very important people who he, he, he ought to have been able to talk into, but he couldn't. He needed somebody else who was outside the situation, and Greaves played that very important role. We're going to be exploring Lewis's life at Oxford in much more detail in, later in the series, but why did Lewis apply to Oxford, and what was his experience like of, of that initial application process? Well, Lewis felt Oxford was the place to go. Um, it's not, I have to say, entirely clear why Oxford rather than Cambridge, but anyway, he went. Um, and the, the situation is that in those days, to get to Oxford, you had to sit entrance examinations. In other words, you had to go to Oxford and you would be, um, you'd apply to a, to a college. In Lewis's case, he applied to New College Oxford, very uh, old college, very, very and prestigious and he, he talks about um, sitting these examinations in the, the dining hall of New College during very snowy weather uh, and not being sure how he'd done and then New College said no but University College said yes because what happens is if one college says no to somebody they kind of way pass the paperwork around to other colleges in case somebody else thinks this looks interesting and university college thought lewis looks interesting we're going to ask him to come to us and so lewis got that offer and lewis said yes except all of this was happening around the time of the first world war and things became very very difficult and so it was not entirely clear how things were going to work out so lewis in effect had been accepted to oxford but at a time when basically uh, everything was changing in britain as a result of the great war well as you say we'll see in the next episode of the podcast that his time at oxford didn't quite start the way that he planned it to but alistair thank you so much for your time today it's been wonderful thank you very much thank you for listening to the c.s lewis podcast with me ruth jackson and professor alistair mcgrath and don't forget we're giving you the opportunity to get a free copy of alistair's seminal biography c.s lewis a life to be in with a chance to win visit premierunbelievable.com slash c.s lewis book and sign up to our newsletter that's premierunbelievable.com slash c.s lewis book Thank you for listening and see you next time where we'll be hearing more from Alistair on the thought, life and legacy of C.S. Lewis.